Alrighty. Hey, green friend. Hi, green friend. Uh, my green friend apparel is from Tired Girl Apparel, based in the UK. My tummy hurts, but I'm being really brave about it. I had to buy two new things from there because the one sweatshirt I got, I accidentally washed with something that got it stained. Oh, I feel like this happens to you a lot. Didn't this happen to something else that you had? No, it just happened to this. Oh, okay. But I got another sweatshirt and then I got a t-shirt that says that and I've been wearing that one to bed. I love that. My green is brought to you by Free People and it's a matching set and it's the best. I'm not wearing the pants right now, but the pants have like the stripes as well. So great. And it matches my alien. (laughs) Also, this is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. I liked your like 90s pop take (laughs) on it. Something came out of me. I think I'm just jazzed because... I mean, at the time of recording this, the tickets for our show have only been on sale for a few days, and it has been really exciting to see how many people are coming, and we're like right in. Our meet and greets like sold out within the first day. Yeah, so many of them did, and there are some theaters that are already. God, we're, we manifested one or two sold out shows. We were just hoping like maybe one or two venues, and I think we might make it. I think so too. We are your hostesses. That's Corinne. I'm Sabrina. Hi. This is technically our anniversary slash 30th birthdays episode sequence or segment. There's three of them. We get to celebrate three times with because we have three celebrations. Mm-hmm. Corinne and I are both turning 30. Our podcast, Two Girls, One Ghost, is turning six, which <laughs> is wild. Happy birthday, you wee child. Happy birthday. This is part two of the Bigfoot three-parter. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to part one. But you can listen to them, I think, in any order. They operate as standalone episodes and are also all great stories. But it's a little bit of a debate. It's kind of fun. It, Corinne was like, here's lay, lay of the land. Here's Bigfoot. We laid the groundwork. Yeah. But we didn't really get into any of the like meat yet. We will this episode. Thank goodness. Also, I'm so jittery today. I'm bouncy. I'm a bouncy little bean. (laughs) You should have worn your cryptid bean sweatshirt from our creeps and crimes time. I should have. I truly like between our recordings, I just stood up and was like doing stretches and downward dog. And I I think I have weary bones. I've been working out so much that my I'm like achy and sore and I can't sit still. You got to get a massage. I just booked one. (gasps) Oh. You did? Yeah, I'm a member at the now now. The now the now now or the now? The now, but I am now a member at the now. Okay. I kind of like the now now. <laughs> the now now. I'm going to the now now. Now? Now? You know? You know what I want? I want someone to popularize bee therapy because I want to go lay in the vibration of bees easily. Maybe I'll be a beekeeper. Never mind. I'm solving this for myself. Yeah. There's probably plenty of places where you could go be by the bees. I just keep hearing about how healing it is. And I'm like, man, wouldn't that be great? Can you do that at your new place? Could you beekeep? (sighs) No, because Brian's terrified of bees. I was just going to say, does Brian want bees or chickens? Brian does not like... He's got to pick one. There's there's a... (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) He reacts... 
so aggressively towards all critters and insects. It, he fears for his life. There's like a rustling in the bush and he'll jump five feet. And I'm like, I don't even react. I'm like, how do you react like this? His house in New Jersey, there's the most amount of... We, we pulled in today. I dropped my bag. I looked out the window and there was just a groundhog sauntering up his driveway. There's so many animals here and I don't understand how he's so on edge all the time. Well, no, he's startled. He's startled by the critters. And so my plan for our house, maybe I'll get away with beekeeping if I can use like the back corner. Our <laughs> land is kind of like a little wedge at a certain point. And so I was planning on this like wedge shape area that I feel like he'll never go back into. I was like, I'm going to plant a bunch. I'm going to make it like a pollinator field, I think. And just welcome all the butterflies and the insects and the bees I really love this. Maybe set up a bird feeder or two, feed the squirrels. Uh, or be like my friends, Allison and Daniel, who feed the turkeys. They have a baby turkey in their backyard right now. They feed all the pigeons. They feed the snaggletooth Fred. And they also feed all the raccoons. <laughs> They're quite literally like they have every animal that lives in Marblehead in their backyard. They're like Disney princesses. They're Disney they princesses at this point. And they love it. And they're so good at it. The the lesson we're learning here is that Brian would not do well with Bigfoot. No. Nope. Okay. No. Brian gets to live comfortably inside the safety of our home. And I will be keeper of the land. And maybe by being keeper of the land, I get to do what I want with said land. I love it. And if Bigfoot comes, he's welcome. Well, maybe for the sake of this being a long episode, should we just jump into it? Yes. After I read eight sentences to you. Oh, okay. You've heard this story once before, Sabrina, but I'm sure you forgot some of the details. And so I, and I did too. So, okay. When we were in Boston back in 2019, and we were doing a show at the Laugh Factory in Seaport, we went out to lunch with a bunch of my family friends, remember? Mm-hmm. And my family friend, Kathy, was like, she gets really spooked by the stories. Like, she doesn't really listen to the podcast because she's like scared of the ghosts and stuff like that. But she loves that we do this and she's so fascinated by it. And she herself had a really odd encounter when she was a kid. And she believes it was an encounter with Bigfoot. And so she hadn't told many people at all. And still to this day, hasn't told, like very few people have ever heard this story. But you and I heard it when we were at the sail loft having lunch. And so I texted her yesterday. I said, Kathy, can you please send me your Bigfoot story? Because I want to read it on the podcast because we're doing a Bigfoot episode. And she goes, okay. And here's what I got. Okay. In the summer of 1989, I worked at a radio station in Johnston, Pennsylvania. Or is it Jonestown? I don't know. Sorry, I'm getting it wrong, but that's where she was. I didn't have a car, so my father would drive me to work and I would walk home. It was about a six-mile walk. Can you say hot girl summer? (laughs) (laughs) It was late July, and I remember that on the way to work, there was a dead skunk. I had to remember that for my walk home so I could run by it. This particular day was unusually hot. I changed out of my work clothes and I put them in my backpack and put my favorite mixtape in my Walkman and then headed down Singer Hill towards the city of Johnstown. The road was heavily wooded on both sides, but more so the left. As I got further away from the houses and into the woods, I began to have this weird feeling like I was being watched. I heard a knock on the metal guardrail. I remember taking off my headphones and putting them into my backpack, thinking that maybe the heat had caused the metal to expand, causing it to make a sound. Soon I heard another knock. 
but this time it sounded like it was further in front of me, downhill. By this time, my guard was up and I was starting to walk faster. Soon, I smelled the most awful smell of my life, and I knew it wasn't the dead skunk from the morning, as I was nowhere near it. Suddenly, I heard something across the street up the hill to my right. I turned to look at it, and I saw trees moving left and right being pushed aside. I was frozen with fear as this tall, huge shadow stopped running and ducked down. Oh! I was still trying to see what was causing the commotion when I noticed white fur moving. And then I made eye contact with this thing. It was looking at me as I was looking at it. Every hair on my body stood up. The adrenaline rush was like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. I ran for my life. The smell didn't subside until I got to the dead skunk, at which point I tried to stop running and just walk, but my body refused and continued to sprint. There was only one car that drove by me that day. Usually I'd see at least three or four. And when I got to the bottom of the hill into the city, I went to my brother's house. And as soon as he saw my face, he asked what was wrong. I was hysterical. After sharing my story, a drink of water and calming down, he convinced me to get in the car and to drive back up to Singer Hill. No. It took some coaxing, but I finally agreed. While I was in his house, maybe 30 minutes or so, the beautiful hot summer day turned dark and stormy. By the time we reached the spot of the sighting, the entire hillside had washed down over the parts of the road, leaving any trace of the footprints completely destroyed. I've only shared this story with family and close friends. I remember watching a show in the early 2010s where people go hunting for Bigfoot and hearing someone talk about the animals communicating through knocking sounds. When I heard that, the hair on my body stood on end. Until that moment, I thought the knocks were due to the high temperature. It was just another point that solidified what I know I saw that day in 1989. And this is a woman I trust with my life. Yeah. Well, okay. The The scariest part about this is how threatening it is. And then how alone Kathy was mm-hmm. like, there's nothing scarier than experiencing something like this alone. And clearly she felt she had ordinarily felt comfortable on this road because it was where she worked. It was where she grew up. It was every single day that she walked and she was comfortable enough to walk alone despite only a few cars passing her and with headphones on, you know, just like in her own world, like it was a normal path that she was so familiar with until this happened. It's so unsettling. And the fact that she remembers so many details too, it's like, that's when you know. Yeah. She replayed it so many times in her head. Just so frightening. Here's the thing is there are, you know how there's MUFON with, if you see like a UFO or anything, you can report it. I think there's got to be one for Bigfoot, right? There is. Let me tell you the name of it because I actually have it up. (laughs) Of course you do. It is BFRO.net, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization founded in 1995, the only scientific research organization exploring the Bigfoot and Sasquatch mystery. And so you can contact them. You can log all of your sightings. And actually, they have sightings that were recently reported, sightings that were reported um, by region. So you can look at your like state. I think it's it's really only in the U.S. and British Columbia that it's tracking. Oh, wait, no, because there's some in the Himalayas. There's some in Russia, other countries, Malaysia, Australia, China, Indonesia. So it's really it's tracking all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's okay. So if you've had an encounter with Bigfoot, report it there. I'm looking in Massachusetts. I'm trying to see if I have a Bigfoot near me. (laughs) Find a Bigfoot near you. (laughs) Okay. I'm so excited for this episode. I have some stories for you, Corinne. Alrighty. It begins on August 12th of 2008, because this day there was a massive break in the Bigfoot case. 
Two men, Matthew Witten, a police officer from Georgia, and Rick Dyer, a car salesman from San Antonio, Texas, had discovered and obtained a Bigfoot carcass. <gasps> That's right. Bigfoot. An irrefutable Bigfoot. Oh my gosh. Rick Dyer had spent many years looking into and searching for Bigfoot. He was a self-proclaimed Bigfoot hunter, which brings us to August of 2008 when Rick and Matt were Bigfoot hunting together in North Georgia when they heard a commotion in the woods. Upon further investigation, they were stunned to witness a group of creatures. It took a moment for them to understand what they were looking at, but then they realized they were looking at a group of Bigfoots. These Bigfoots were acting strange and they realized that they were dragging a corpse. At first, Matt and Rick are like, are they hunting? What are they doing? Are they hunting and gathering? Are they eating? But then they realized that they were dragging behind them a corpse of another Bigfoot. It was as if they were having a funeral, <gasps> which already just changes the game in terms of Bigfoot because it makes us realize that they are sophisticated in a way that we maybe perhaps didn't realize. It's like how elephants have funerals, crows have funerals. It's a very sophisticated emotion. It means they have an emotional capacity in some extent. So Matt and Rick are like, what the heck? They must have made some type of commotion because all of a sudden these Bigfoots notice that they're not alone and they run off and they leave behind this massive seven foot, seven feet in height, nearly 500 pound corpse of a Bigfoot behind. No, I wonder how the Bigfoot died. I know. I know. It's sad. Understanding what they were now seeing, they decide we need to preserve this body. This is the evidence we've been looking for. This is going to change the world. So this thing is massive. It's almost 500 pounds. There's just two of them. So they end up rallying I think it's six men in total, and it takes a day and a half for these six men to move this corpse out of the woods. They then seek to preserve the body for the betterment of science, for proof, and ultimately also their own glory, you know, hunting trophy type of thing. So they preserve it in a block of ice, and then they call other Bigfoot specialists and hunters in and announce their discovery publicly. Tom Biscardi, who is a big name in the Bigfoot world, he's a self-proclaimed real Bigfoot hunter as opposed to fake Bigfoot hunter. Oh, I wonder who he's calling out as fake. Is that probably like people on television who are like, I'm a Bigfoot hunter? I don't know. I don't know. That's why I, I don't know. He just needed to add real in there to to give him some validity. I don't know. There's beef in the big Bigfoot hunting community, and we would like the tea. Oh, there's so much tea. Spill it. Spill it. Tom goes on record with Ryan and Matt on Steve Cole's radio show called Sasquatch Detective, which is basically the GBI of Sasquatch, which ultra... Okay, Corinne, I have... I need to get you a shirt that says Sasquatch Detective, and then Brian can wear his Sasquatch boxers, and then you guys can <laughs> make a baby. Oh my god. Or I can I can wear the boxers myself. And then next time I have a gyno appointment, I'll wear the full outfit and she'll be like, "Oh my god, I'm so proud of you for inspecting your bits and making sure you're you're nice and healthy. Your circles and your lines. Your your, your bits, your circles, your lines, bits, pieces. Check your check yourself. Lines. Everyone touch your boob, grab a mirror, give a quick glance. 
Call your doctor if you see anything or feel anything odd. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So Tom goes on the show and is like, it's true. I saw the Bigfoot that Matt and Rick found. It's preserved in ice. And he goes, last weekend, I touched it. I I measured its feet. I felt its intestines. Oh, yes. What the hell? That last part. This went... This went too far too quick. Which is weird because it's preserved on ice in ice. So like how did it touch how did he touch his intestines? Like did they thaw it or did he see it before they preserved it on ice? I don't know. Or is it it's not pres- maybe it's preserved on ice and not in ice. You know, like a it was in a block of ice. Oh. That's I mean that was my understanding. Also it, it's interesting a lot of the pictures so cuz there were photos of this uh, that were released it's really hard to find them. And a lot of the articles I was looking at it, like the image was no longer available. That's odd. Okay. Sabrina, you last episode just gave a little speech about like, why isn't the government covering up things about Bigfoot? Is this not an example of us having evidence and the evidence suddenly disappearing from our hands? It's not. Um, You'll find out why. Okay. So as you can imagine, the paranormal, supernatural, cryptid and Bigfoot world goes bananas. Matt, Rick, and Tom decide to have an unveiling after confirming with DNA and genetic facilities that the creature that they discovered was was indeed an undiscovered species. And then came the reveal, which this brings up my concern. This is the first time I bring up my concern. If Bigfoot were real and in the same way that aliens, I very much believe are real, the government gets so involved with aliens. Why don't they with Bigfoot? And this is something I brought up in episode one, part one. Like if these men caught a Bigfoot corpse and they were going to do a big reveal and it's so public, I 100% believe the government would have gotten involved in some way. Yeah. You would think, yeah, the government or some sort of different animal research groups. I understand that. Yeah. You'd be like, okay, if there's actually, if people believe in the possibility, they would be more, but maybe that's the thing. Maybe the government just doesn't believe. Maybe none of these organizations believe at all. And so they just already assume everything is a hoax. And so they're like, eh, don't even bother reaching out. Sure. But (laughs) you're not going to convince me the Bigfoot isn't real. (laughs) No, that's fine. And I feel like I want so badly to be convinced, but I'm I question because like I feel like the government wants their hands on all the things or wants want to get their paws. Okay, but what about like Loch Ness and Champ and all of the all of the lake monsters out there? But see, those things for me, I very much believe in those and I almost feel like they're less cryptid and supernatural and more just species that are a bit unstudied. So it's not as, oh my gosh, what could this do? What does the, what's the impact of, of this creature? Because there's an actual, we can see what prehistoric animals they could be derived by from, Correct. basically. Correct. Whereas Bigfoot is a bit of an anomaly because yes, unless it's some sort of Neanderthal human offshoot or an ape that, yeah, it's just none of its prop. We'll go into it next week. Okay. So here comes the reveal. Photos of the preserved Bigfoot were published in newspapers and online. And then this man, Jerry Perino, happens to see it. Jerry owned an online shop called thehorrordome.com that sells costumes. And he sees the photo and is like, um, that's a costume. I sell it. That's, that's on my website. That's my work. 
Yes. And sure enough, Rick and Matt, along with Tom, purchased a Bigfoot costume from Jerry's company. And there's this is the thing is like they leave a trail like there's a, a paper trail. Yeah, people yeah. can trace it. What is this? Horrordome.net? Thehorrordome.com. And so sure enough, Rick and Matt, along with Tom, had purchased this Bigfoot costume from Jerry's store and stuffed it to look like a real Bigfoot. And Corinne, do you want to know what they stuffed it with? Or actually, try to take a guess. Corn? No. Human hair? No. Uh, pig, pig's guts? Possum meat? Oh my God, that's so gross. I have so many questions. It kind of, like, you know how you said that the guy got a human hand and replaced it in Nepal? Like, to me, where did these men get possum meat? Because it's one thing to get entrails and leftovers from a slaughterhouse, which I think they did combine with the possum meat. But who are they calling up to be like, hey, got some uh, possum roadkill I could uh, offload? You know, I bet they collected it themselves. I bet this was like a big scheme. It was a plan. Like once one of them saw it online. 500 pounds of possum meat, though. Maybe one of them work at like, do one of them work as in... No, one of them is a car salesman. The other one is a police officer. Okay, that's odd. I don't know. There's maybe off... Is this a black market for possums? It must be. Here's a here's the what it must look like because here's the listing on the horror dome for the Bigfoot costume. Yeah, I mean, this was 2008. I have a picture which I'll insert in here. Oh, okay. So this is a this is a new and updated version. So not quite the version that was frozen. It must be here. I'm going to send you a picture. These are some good costumes. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, they're very Should I buy one? So, they're outed. Their scam unravels. And everyone learns of their hoax. And then Rick and Matt go on to say like very contradictory things. One statement was basically like, I think when it first comes out as a hoax, Rick is trying really hard to preserve some type of validity. And also, I think he so badly desperately wants Bigfoot to be real that he wants to convince the world of its existence. And that is why he was willing to go so far as finding 500 pounds of possum meat to stuff a costume with. Uh, I know it does make you wonder what is the motivating factor for these people? I think a little bit of his glory, fame, and then also like wanting to believe in Bigfoot and wanting to prove it to people. So he then goes on to say, like, once he's outed, he goes, well, actually, a government agency, which I cannot name, confiscated the real Bigfoot that we found. And we just wanted to produce uh, something to show that we actually did find it. Like, basically, ego being like, the government stole it from me. And so I needed to do this. Okay, I remember. I remember this story now. I get it. It sounds like, okay, you're like lying. It's like, you know, when you... When someone sends a text message that they regret and they're like, oh, someone stole my phone. You're like, okay, obviously no one did. Like it was, you know, it feels like that. But also at the same time, I feel like with UFO spaceship stuff, like this is, this is exactly the same thing that happens. It's like the farmer gets a, a piece of UFO scrap metal and then, but the government took it and swapped it out and kind of like the same thing. It's the same story that's told time and time again. Yeah, but this one is very deliberately like, oh, the government came and took it from me and I chose to make something else. Whereas that is more like the government swapped it out without me knowing kind of thing. Right. Yeah. There's more of a conspiracy with that one. The lie has continued. They didn't just say, oh, oh my God, the government stole my Bigfoot. And then they 
they just continue to like kick their own, like, or dig their own grave in the sense that like, right after so they make that statement. And then a little bit later, they make a statement. They're like, uh, we were just joking because we love jokes. Ha ha. Gotcha. It's like Winston from New Girl just taking a prank <laughs> way too far. Well, sadly, the joke was on Matt Witten because he was a police officer. And after this prank and this faux Bigfoot hoax, he got fired. He lost his job. And then, like I said last episode, this was a big hit for the Bigfoot community because it's like there are so many people in Bigfoot community who are trying so hard to prove and validate the existence of Bigfoot that hoaxes like this end up making skeptics like proving a lot of skeptics points and being like you all are just faking shit like this isn't real and this is more proof and more evidence that nothing is real so it just it doesn't do the bigfoot community any favors with a bunch of people in the community faking it it does not i agree with you there 100 percent. which brings me to today's episode bigfoot hoax or real and also, my question is like, why is everyone treating Bigfoot like Marilyn Monroe and trying to get their hands all over her? You know, we talked all about how people just want to have like a connection to Marilyn. And I feel like this Bigfoot community so desperately wants to get their hands on Bigfoot that they create things. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that Bigfoot has really dazzled so many people, myself included, because there are so many other cryptids out there that, I mean, I guess the same could be said for Mothman, right? So many people are fascinated by mothman except mothman the difference is mothman is a is a story that kind of almost exists in the past where people just get to enjoy the story and it's not an active search for mothman right i feel like there's got to be some like bigfoot fan fiction like some sexy bigfoot stories there is there are there here's the thing when i say bigfoot is my boyfriend it's like it's kind of a joke Right. But I feel like there's other people that are like way more. They're they're really shape of water <laughs> with yeah. Bigfoot. Yeah. Mine, it's a joke. I'm kind of scared of Bigfoot. <laughs> well, yeah. But also, if if you were to learn that Bigfoot was real and nice, you would fully embrace. <laughs> it's kind of like with aliens. Bigfoot with the temperament of a manatee. That would be <laughs> my very best friend. Oh, except I don't know. Temperament of a cat. Well, then hell no. Why? Look at can you? Leia is literally pure innocence right now. Pure innocence. I've seen. I've seen things that are not innocent from Leia. When she bites you, when she screams, maybe she is part Bigfoot with all of her yowls. She could be a descendant. Actually, as you were telling your story, Kathy's story earlier, there was so much noise. Like it, it almost sounded like a train but it also sounded like a bigfoot howling it was very creepy i don't think this picked it up because we have outside yeah outside weird i felt unsettled and then i got scared by your story and the sound stopped so i forgot to say it so here we are that's okay do you live like next to a train or something Mm, i mean there is the metro but it's far enough away that i don't think i should hear it maybe there's construction and it's not really like a choo-choo train it's like a no it's metro like a metro it's interesting because the sound of the train kind of came through not kind of it it very well there was like some sort of like bell or train whistle on the sinister hood episode that we did on their feed when you were talking and i was nowhere near a train then oh, okay 
Because I, I was going to say maybe your new spot is like haunted by an old train conductor or something. Okay, creaky chair is, over there. I know. <laughs> I attempted to get comfortable and there's no way that that's going to work out. I just want to watch you rock back and forth for the entirety of the episode. <laughs> okay, so this is the episode of Bigfoot hoaxes. Hoax or truth? Fact or hoax? I don't know. I do want to start out by saying... I'm sorry, Corinne. It feels really, really cruel to be doing an entire episode on Bigfoot hoaxes on pretty much what is your 30th birthday. And just to be clear, this was entirely your idea because I said, I'm going to do a two-parter on Bigfoot. And you said, let's make it a three-parter and I'll do the middle part hoaxes. And I was like, great. (laughs) So I want to apologize. I am sorry. But then I was like, okay, wait, I'm going to put a positive spin on it because I'm really trying to counteract my negativity um, in my life and put positive spins on everything. Cause it's my summer fashion look. So it's good. <laughs> Positivity is your summer fashion look. Yes. Doesn't it look good I on love me? It, it looks fabulous. <laughs> okay. I might even extend to the fall. Oh, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teen <laughs> angst was so last season. <laughs> <laughs> Teen Angst had a moment, but you missed it. Um, <laughs> I think you missed it too. I did. I did. <laughs> I really did. You tried it on, but you didn't buy it. No, no, no. It didn't look good on me. Okay. But if I ever want to try it on again, Corinne, I will borrow it from your closet. <laughs> oh, I'll give it to you. I have a Bible, I have a whole like Bible's worth of Teen Angst comebacks and insults oh yeah you're ready ready to go yeah okay so uh, the positive spin is that it's good to point out the hoaxes because not everything you can see and hear is true and in this case it doesn't mean that bigfoot isn't real in fact it actually helps validate other stories because once you can point out what is fake you can then be like okay well on the other end of things there are true stories there we go Just like the Yeti scalp being fake most of the time, but then some random hairs being kind of confusing. Exactly. And some footprints being very clearly made from wood, but others having interesting dermal ridges on them that would indicate that they're from a particular species. An actual creature. Living, breathing creature. Bigfoot. He, it, she, they are known to be masters of disguise. They go unseen, perhaps... For many or any one of the reasons that you will provide us with and we will discuss in the next episode. But if everyone was like, oh, I saw Bigfoot. I saw Bigfoot too. I saw Bigfoot too. I would be more suspicious because I'd be like, hmm, too many people are seeing Bigfoot. Bigfoot is this elusive creature of mystique and intrigue. It's not just popping around saying hello to everyone. It is selective. With these encounters, I feel more inclined to believe the sightings that you have shared with me and will share with us. Plus... The truth behind a lot of these hoaxes, for the most part, is that most people want to so badly prove and believe in Bigfoot that they have been spending their lives, dedicating their lives, spending their money, putting all of their effort into this search that I don't I don't necessarily blame them. And I can understand psychologically why they would go to such an extent to prove or try to prove the existence through a hoax because they just want everyone else to believe Yeah, it would be devastating to think 
too, that someone could research something for so long, potentially never get proof of that thing, and then discredit all of their research and all of their years of experience because they got so desperate to prove its existence and to have something to show for all that they did that they resort to creating a hoax. And I would much rather look at their life's work and their enthusiasm and say, they were so close or they contributed so much because so much of science too is finding what doesn't work, right? I would much rather that than to remember them as someone who faked something because that that will overshadow everything else someone did in their life. And that's what's disappointing about a lot of the stories I will share with you. But we have talked about this before, and this is something that we'll actually hint, hint, get into a little bit at our live show, just like with the paranormal world and with, I would say it extends to the cryptid world. There is this weird, like macho energy and there's a lot of ego and a lot of like, well, look at me like, bruh. Um, and it's not as community based. It's a little bit like butt heads and competitive and who's going to prove it first. And so I think that gets in the way of what the purpose is, which is to prove Bigfoot is real. Bigfoot is life. But how, Corinne, do you spot a Bigfoot hoax? It's kind of the same way you look for and spot a bad potential partner. You look for red flags. I present to you Bigfoot red flags. (laughs) Shout out. To Doug Hijack of Untold Radio for jumping off point here. Doug has a podcast and has spent a lot of his life looking into Bigfoot. So he has examined countless footage, evidence, photos, etc. And has put together a list of red flags. Amazing. So when looking at evidence, it is important. This is specifically more for like photo and video evidence. It is very important to spend more than three seconds looking at it because anything that you look at for three seconds, you can be like, oh yeah, that's believable. I buy it. So the three things you want to look for is one, is most of the creature's body visible and in frame? You want it to be yes. You don't want the body to... Number two is that the creature should not be obscured by greenery. And three, does the imagery offer information about the anatomy of the creature, aka height, weight, width, muscle composition, etc. I feel like this is really hot. Number two feels very difficult to accomplish because if Bigfoot is this elusive creature that lives in densely wooded areas and difficult terrain, the chances of you encountering one is probably at a far distance. And so I would presume that most people won't ever have the opportunity or live to tell the tale if they're so close that they can give like a full like close up body scan unobstructed of this creature. Like let me get out my tape measure, let me take your height, let me close up on those biceps and can you actually push the grass down by your feet, Mr. Bigfoot? I think it's more of just like it's easier to fake something if like if someone was creating a fake image of Bigfoot, they would lean into the greenery and the shrubbery as a like, oh, I'm going to hide all these other details because I don't want like, or I don't have the ability to create X, Y, and Z. So like I'll hide it with greenery. Basically, that's what he's saying. Yeah. Basically, we're looking for no blurry Sasquatches. Does it look like someone's wearing a costume and was edited? If so, it's fake. Here are some other things that we're looking at. Anatomy. Does it have stubby arms? 
that is a red flag. Does it have curves? If it does not, that's a red flag because curves are good. Oh, okay. Because it's like the bagginess of a costume. Mm-hmm. And got like it. if you look at any creature, like we've got lumps, humps, lady parts, you know, booty parts, all of those things. Yes. Even the, the wispy little antelope has some some definition and tone. Yes. There's apparently in studies of like Bigfoot costume, like things that have been proven to be fake, a lot of these images have a high contrast facial area, which means it's most likely a Bigfoot costume. And it is recommended to add three red flags for that one. Is the entity acting poorly, aka something trying to emphasize like a strange walk? Red flag. Mm. Is there no audio? Red flag. Are there growls in the audio? Red flag. Red flag. An infrared light footage. So if it's caught on on camera with infrared camera technology and the fur appears white, that is a red flag because a lot of synthetic. Yeah. A lot of fake furs glow white, but Mm. because of the dye process, whereas real hair would not. That makes sense. Seams, zippers, etc. It's a costume. Red flag. Look for seams, wrinkles, and folds. Bell-bottom bridges. Does it have cankles? Red flag. Because you have ankles. Bigfoot doesn't just go like whoop into the foot. They have like some type of definition of the ankle region. Unless Bigfoot has cankles, I don't know. What if Bigfoot is some sort of other alien creature that actually just wears, like creates these Bigfoot costumes? And so we are seeing authentic Bigfoot. They win costume designers of the year. Yeah. It's just the way that they dress. Yeah. Well, then you know what? Then I'm open to changing my mind, Corinne. (laughs) Another red flag is the timing of the video. Do things stop just as the video gets good? That's a red flag. If you think it's CGI, it most likely is. If someone states it's Bigfoot before asking for a second opinion, that's also most likely a red flag, which that one I question because I think if I were to encounter something that seemed like Bigfoot, just having all this knowledge of Bigfoot and all the stuff that we've talked about, I would for sure post it and be like, oh my God, is this Bigfoot? So that one I question. Right. I would also add, because I was watching a lot of videos of Bigfoot encounters, and I would add to my red flag list a Bigfoot walking with a similar gait and stride as a human being, because there's a lot of I'm like, oh, wow, they're almost shuffling for the size of and the distance that a Bigfoot should make. They're they're taking little baby steps almost probably because it's hard to move in that costume. Agreed. Other There are a couple more red flags. If it looks towards camera or if you're seeing its eyes in some way and the eyes seem dead, that's a red flag because eyes are very complex with any animal. If you look at an animal, like unless it's like a lizard, you know, they have very complex eyes. And we know Bigfoot, if they are real, have very deep, complex souls. They have empathy. They have heart. And you would be able to see that in the eyes. And if you don't in these imageries or images and video footage, Red flag. And I'll also say that a lot of reports of Bigfoot say that they have an owl-like eye. So it's really, really round. And when you're in a mask, it's like a little slit. So if you see like a squinting dead-eyed Bigfoot, probably. Red flag. Red flag. If there's no additional evidence like a cast or photos, 
red flag. If this person who is submitting the evidence has made a hoax in the past, red flag. We will come back to that one. I mean, nothing can be trusted again, right? Yes. If there's only one witness and there's no one else with them, could be a red flag, not necessarily, but it's better. It's easier to believe if there are multiple witnesses. If um, it's very close up and blurry and starts and ends quickly, red flag. Basically, there's a lot of red flags. But Corinne, there are also green flags. And since we are green friends, I, as a green friend to you, wanted to share the green flags. Okay. Has this area had sightings in the past? If so, green flag. Are there multiple witnesses? Green flag. Secondary evidence? Green flag. Proportion is larger than human range? Green flag. Abnormally large shoulders? Green flag. But that's all the green flags that I have to offer you. Ooh, not many. So with our flag system set up and established, we have it. We can get into some more specific stories and use these flag systems to decide whether or not okay. it is true. So shout out to, the, I think I told you this at the end of your episode, but Sasquatch Odyssey is a podcast that I really enjoyed listening to. I am sorry if I cause Bigfoot depression, forget seasonal depression, but Bigfoot depression after this episode. Why? Just because I'm, it's, I'm leaning into the hoax. Okay, well, this is the hoax episode, so you're doing things this correctly. This is the hoax episode. Yeah, this is the the one episode where we're ultra skeptical in all six years of podcasting. This is finally our anniversary on the sixth year is the <laughs> so time that we decide sorry. to be skeptics. But this story, and these are all fun stories. Okay, so it's August 27th of 1958 when Jerry Crew is driving to work in Bluff Creek, California. He is working on a logging construction site. And he's waved in by the foreman, Ray Wallace. And now his job and where his equipment is set up is pretty far into Bluff Creek. So he's driving about 20 miles away from the highway. He's by the bulldozing brush and stumps left over from loggers who had been clearing the area. And he takes off his moccasins. He puts on his work boots and he puts on his hard hat and he's setting off to his, uh, you know, his uh, machinery. But then... As he's about to turn his machine on, he looks down out the doorway and he sees something very strange. He sees massive footprints. They were big and manlike, pressed deeply into the earth. He was so startled by the pure size and weight that must have been required to press so deeply into the earth that he jumped out of his machine, quickly jumped back into his car, drove back to the entrance of the work site to report it to the foreman, Ray Wallace. Wow. I mean, yeah, he must have believed it wholeheartedly. Like the fact that he reported it means he didn't initially clock it as this could be a prank. It seems like there's actually this huge potential beast predator threat looming on our work site. And keep in mind, so remember the story I told you at the beginning of part one that I had heard from a man at a, at a restaurant of like his family and like this town, everyone was talking about things happening. This is very similar in Bluff Creek, California around this time, 1958. There are a lot of strange things happening on these work sites. There are a lot of reports of, of sounds in the woods and creatures and things going missing and large objects moving without any plausible reasoning. Like it's not like a human could possibly do those things. 
So I think all of this is compiling together. And then Jerry sees the footprints. So he goes and he reports it. And once these reports are submitted, it spreads like wildfire. All of the men on the crew are beginning to share their own stories of the most infamous creature that lurks in the woods. So it's like once one person admits that they experienced something, everybody else is suddenly coming forward and being like, okay, now I feel more comfortable sharing what I think I saw. Well, that and also this is not the first time something like this has been talked about because the footprints that Jerry had seen on August 27th of 1958 at the Bluff Creek work site were not the first ones to be seen. Months prior, 25 workers at another work site nearby had seen similar prints. And a local paper actually ran a story of giant footprints that had been found back in 1947, right by the gas and electric company in Bluff Creek. So there's all of this stuff happening in Bluff Creek, California within like 10 to 11 years of one another. Okay, well, this makes sense as to why there would be Bigfoot encounters, because we're at this point encroaching on their territory in their habitat if they live there with all of the logging. And also if we fall back on some of the indigenous cultures beliefs of Bigfoot and them being sort of protectors of the forest, their involvement and their looming presence over the people who are taking down the trees and encroaching on their territory, that makes sense. Exactly. And like they're taking down the trees. It's like, I I don't know. I feel like they'd probably be so confused and they're looking at all this machinery like, what is this? Where'd my tree go? Yeah. Okay. So Jerry Crew and Ray Wallace start putting things together. There have been a lot of odd occurrences happening at this worksite and other worksites. Could this massive Bigfoot creature be responsible? Bigfoot. This is when the name Bigfoot was created and born. Yes! Basically, as they were theorizing, as they were talking to local papers and stuff, they called it this Bigfoot creature because it had big feet. I love this. We got the origin story for Sasquatch, for Abominable Snowman, Abominable Snowman. Did I say that right? I think so. And now Bigfoot. And now Bigfoot. So around this time, sadly, uh, dogs were dying. Things were getting stolen. Large objects were being moved. And so they were wondering if this large creature could be responsible. Yeah. And a lot of the members of the crew saw and determined, like, they saw these massive footprints. And they were like, these were not made by a bear. We absolutely believe this is real. Whatever it is, it's not faked. How could you fake these massive footprints? And they were taught how to make a cast of the print. So they did. And I just sent you a picture. But this is the picture of Jerry holding the cast. And it's pretty big. Like, it's a, it's a big photo. We'll put it into our YouTube video. Mm, yeah, it's huge. This is like, this would be, this would be like probably one of the largest footprints taken. Because I think they usually are like, up to 24 inches in length and this looks to be about two feet it's 18 inches long oh it's 18 inches okay i will also say looking at this photo that if someone showed me this i i I know that this is the hoax episode but i would immediately say that this is fake because this looks exactly like a human foot (laughs) and not like the the primate feet that appear in the himalayas right yes Well, a lot of people are questioning it, but they're like, what is this? So it measures 18 inches long, seven inches wide. And based on 
like from one footprint to the next, it had a walking stride of 50 inches, which is a big stride. There's this man, Andrew Gonzoli at the Times, who publishes a letter regarding the prints in September and it struck. It became the topic at dinner tables, the story to talk about at work, at social events, everywhere. Basically, there was no awkward silences anywhere anymore because you could talk about big footprints. <laughs> there was a TV show called Truth of Consequences. It was a game show, and they offered $1,000 to anyone who could explain how the tracks were made. For years, people were trying to disprove the footprints or find evidence that it was a hoax but they could not. Basically, they couldn't find a way that they were made fake. Like how 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 would they have been falsified? It was interesting because wait, so did they just take a cast of one of the footprints or did they have many? They I think they took a couple, but then they also took a lot of photos and they yeah, they basically they had more evidence than just the one cast. Because I would be really curious to see if, you know, if there were 15 footprints, what the cast of every single one of them appeared to be and if the weight and the impression was almost the same with everyone or or a couple of them were matching then I'd be like oh okay maybe this person created a few variations of a foot and keeps pressing them along the way because normally when you walk like if you walk in the sand every single one of your footprints that you leave behind is a little bit different based on how your weight shifts exactly in the sand and the ground is like different levels of sturdiness and wet, dry, whatever it may be. So yes. So before I get into more of the story, Corinne, should we go through and do red flags and green flags of what I just shared? Sure. Okay. I'll start with a green flag. There are multiple witnesses. Yes. And a lot of evidence. So that's two green flags there. Another green flag is that there were multiple sightings in the same area before. Nice. But red flags, they look very human-like. They look very human-like. There was no visual sightings of the creature itself. Mm-hmm. What else? Is that it? I feel like it's hard because so many of the red flags were, I think, based on photo and video evidence, and this doesn't have that. Okay. So we have quite a few green flags right now. And, and, yeah. I, and I think this is why it was really hard to disprove it. But sadly, in 2002, on his deathbed, Ray Wallace confessed to his family. Ray. Michael Wallace, who was one of four of Ray's sons, said that his father had a penchant for the unusual, that even in his later years, he ran a menagerie of wild animals from cougar, from cougars to skunks. So he was just like, he loved creatures. He was a little bit of a goof. And he also loved to make people laugh. So he pulled a lot of pranks and on his deathbed at 84 years old, Ray, who was dying of heart failure, admitted to his family that it was all a hoax. He made it all up. He made up the big footprint, the cast, the additional sightings and recorded sounds. All of it was faked. According to Ray's family, Ray confessed that he used a 16 inch model of a human foot that a friend carved from alder wood to leave tracks around the logging site to play a prank on Jerry crew. It freaked Jerry out so much and the papers picked it up so quickly and that everyone on the site started to believe it, that Ray kind of ran with it. And when people started to doubt it, he would plant and add fuel to the fire by planting new evidence, like the sounds or telling stories of different sightings. 
I wonder how he felt about it. I wonder if there was just this guilt creeping in that kind of lingered with him throughout the rest of his life, which is what led to the deathbed confession, or if he also alternately thought that he created just such a magical experience that everyone collectively got together to theorize about and talk about and be scared and dazzled by and probably felt like this almost magician and then was telling his secrets in his last moments. I wonder which side of the coin he was on. Maybe a bit of both. I think people give him some like grace because they're like, oh, he he kept alive this story of Bigfoot for almost 50 years. And there is a little bit of like, yes, it's it's a bummer that he with these continued jokes and hoaxes of Bigfoot, it does discredit the name a bit, but it is still like they and no one was surprised. That's the thing is when he when he did pass away and ultimately confess, everyone's like, well, yeah, we we knew it was fake. We just couldn't prove it. Right. And to at least it was concentrated to one area. It's not like he traveled the U.S. planting evidence and escalated things. It was really just this one region. But I do have questions about the people who 10 years prior had experienced something similar and also what was happening with all of the dead animals and just like the ransacking and destruction of property? Well, that's a good question, Corinne. And something I'm going to pose right now is that while Ray Wallace had planted these prints, what about that story? And what about Bluff Creek? Because while those pieces of evidence may have been fake, he might still be, or Bigfoot, it, they, he, she, whatever they decide to be, may still be in Bluff Creek. Because in 1976, two rodeo men from Yakima County, Washington State, captured a video of Bigfoot in the Bluff Creek area. And now this is the most famous video footage of Bigfoot. I bet everyone has seen it. There is one clip. I mean, it's like a 60 second video and there's one image in the video that has become the icon of Bigfoot, every merchandise, every like Bigfoot shirt or sticker or pose that you see is accredited to this video. It's the like hands, like mid gate looking like at you, you know, exactly what it is. Looking back. Yes. Yeah. Roger Patterson and Robert Gimlin were in Bluff Creek on October 20th of 1967 when they came across a hairy figure crouched beside the creek. They chased the figure before filming it walking along and even looking back at them. It looks at the camera, Bigfoot, who I don't know how they determined this, but they determined that the Bigfoot was a she and they gave her the name Patty, so Patty the Bigfoot. The video in entirety is less than 60 seconds long. It is in the woods in low resolution. It's pretty shaky. And the one frame, like I said, has become so iconic. The video shook the world to its core. It is the most clear footage of Bigfoot. I say clear with quotations because questionable. Despite it being very shaky footage and to this day hasn't exactly been disproven, though many have tried. So basically people have tried, but no one can actually firmly say that this is a fake like like with the rick dyer story they were like okay this costume was from this website there's a paper trail this was recorded in 1967 so this is like multiple cent like about half a century of film advancement and costume technology and 
AI and everything. And no one has been able to be like, okay, this is the costume or here's a seam. Okay. Should we, should we go through red flags and green flags with this video? Because I fear, I feel like the video is seared into my mind. Yes. Yes. I remember. Let's, Let's go through red flags and green flags and I'll, I'll share two stories of people who have tried to validate or discredit it. Okay. I'd say one of the green flags is there actually isn't that much foliage in front of this Bigfoot. Like in parts of the video, it's a little harder to see as it walks through the brush, but there's a lot of open space where you can see a lot of its body. I think another, well, I guess the red flag would be that it's so incredibly old and pixelated that you can't really tell much about the costume. But from what I could see, it doesn't appear to be overly uh, baggy or have any clear seams in it, especially because it shows the front of the creature, the back of the creature, and the side profile of the creature, and the creature looking back. And you can see, I think the reason why some of them probably theorize it's a lady is because of its chest region and it looking a little bit similar to how we view female gorillas with like a slight puffiness in the breast area. Yeah. Yeah. And the the face is, there's a little bit of high contrast in the eye area, but it's not to the extent that costumes of Bigfoot are. And my one red flag, and because when I was listening and reading about the different types of red flags, the ankle thing really, really got me. And I was like, oh, that's right. If you look at like all animals, deer, bears, humans, we have a defined, like it goes from whatever the mass is. And then it goes inwards and it slims at the ankle before going into the foot. And so that to me was like, oh, okay. I wonder if I can see that in this video. And it is really hard to see below the like knee calf area. So it's hard to determine if it has skinny ankles. It is, but at the same time, like you see the calf, like the definition of the calf and the definition of the shoulders and the butt. And it's like, unless this was a skin tight suit that people padded and stitched onto someone for the sake of this video, it does appear that it's starting to taper down by the ankles. Right. So again, like there are a lot of green flags for this one, which is why it's pretty hard to disprove. Well, and there's one more part of this, which is when the foot is picked up, here's, I don't know if this is going to be a green flag or a red flag, but it almost appears to be a whitish bottom of the foot, which one, I'd be like, oh, is that like the, the bottom of the costume, like the pad of the bottom? of the costume. But then on the flip side, it's like, okay, well, one of one of the signatures of Bigfoot is this kind of like white powdery substance left behind. And there is white on the padding of the foot. And then also, if it is a sort of offshoot of some sort of ape-like creature, if you look at apes and monkeys, like the padding on their hands, on their chest, on their face, on their feet, is doesn't have any fur and can be shiny. So I wonder if it picked up in the sun, maybe it was kind of like a black shiny bottom, but in the sunlight, it reflected as more of a white. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. So Cliff Brackman, who is known for his role as co-host on Finding Bigfoot, backs up the video by explaining that in his research, he has learned that Bigfoot 
the way that Bigfoot walks is very particular. So he says in the video, this creature trails its leg in a very unique way. Patty takes her heel off the ground, but keeps the entire forefoot in touch with the ground, which is consistent with Bigfoot prints. It's a very distinct gait. So basically putting more of the weight in the forefront of the foot. And for all the reasons we have to dislike AI technology, like the fact that studio execs are trying to use it to take writers and actors and put them out of their jobs, there are reasons to appreciate it like this. Recently, AI tech has been used to stabilize the Bigfoot Patty video. And it's really cool. You can watch these videos of AI like following the Bigfoot to, to stabilize it. Um, and some people have said that the stabilization has actually been used to prove that it's just some guy walking in a costume. But there's never been real proof of it being a costume, even with the stabilization. There was one person who tried to like, you know, hyper focus and zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in and blow it up and be like, oh, look, this is a fastener that must have come loose. But when it's that zoomed in, like you literally can't figure out and see any detail. And too, I'm looking at, I mean, I don't know how true this is, but there's a photo that shows basically the distance in that site from where the Bigfoot creature is moving. And it shows that in two steps, or I guess one, two, three, in four steps, it makes it 16 and a half feet in distance across the land. So I don't know how far I could step, but at a normal kind of walking pace, I don't know if in four steps I could make it basically 17 well, now feet. Now I want to get up and test it and out. test it? Yeah. I think you could. I think you, you think? Can. Yeah. There's so many photos of side-by-sides of like the back of this creature walking next to gorillas and it's it looks so eerily similar. Yeah. Anyway, there's neither like there's been no way to disprove it or there's no way to prove it. So it kind of leaves you in a limbo of like, is it real or not? I 100% believe in this video. I know. And there's okay. So there's also like, I know this was like a very brief description of it because like we've both said we could probably do so many parts on just Bigfoot alone. But and I did find an article and it was a research paper of it was 22 pages long about this video, which Corinne, I'll send to you for a little bit of light reading before bed. But It does break my heart to know that there are so many hoaxes. We here, well, you believe, you know, I want to believe that Bigfoot is real, meaning Bigfoot is not dead. No, it's it's alive. It's thriving. And there's multiple Bigfoots all across this planet Earth. But unfortunately, there is one Bigfoot that I know of that is dead. Who? In September of 2012, an unhoused couple had been living in the woods just outside of San Antonio, Texas, when one day they encountered Bigfoot. They were so startled and they reported their sighting to the police. And Rick Dyer, our Bigfoot hunter from the beginning of this episode, overheard the call and was the first on scene. Rick Dyer... He's the type of person who doesn't really necessarily care about preserving the community of Bigfoot. He cares mostly about proving and having his name attached to the proof of Bigfoot. So he brings along a gun, but he also brings pork chops from Walmart and a special barbecue sauce in order to lure Bigfoot out of the woods. I feel like he's just making a joke of this now. So he brings pork chops and he rubs barbecue sauce all over the trees and he waits. Night fell and all of a sudden he hears a sound in the woods and then he saw it. His trap had worked. Bigfoot apparently loves barbecue sauce and pork chops 
And trigger warning, this does involve hunting and the death of Bigfoot. So Corinne, I'm sorry, but you must listen to this. Oh. Rick Dyer shot Bigfoot. Bigfoot ran and Rick shot him once more. Wait, what state was this in? Texas. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say there are some other states that have passed laws and protection acts for Bigfoot should it exist where it's illegal to hunt them. That's nice. I like that. And harm them. Yeah. So when this couple who had originally called in the sighting heard that Rick had shot Bigfoot, they were so sad. And this part of the story, like, oh, it warms my heart, but also breaks my heart. This couple said that they wish they had never called the cops because they realized that Bigfoot was no different than them. He was just looking for a place to live. Oh, my gosh. This is heartbreaking. So here we have another Bigfoot corpse. It's a green flag for evidence. We have green flag for witnesses because Rick Dyer was not the first one to see it or call it in. It was this couple. Red flag for Rick Dyer because he already has tried to fool the world with a Bigfoot hoax. A double red flag for the fact that I am covering specifically Bigfoot hoaxes. Anyway, Rick obtains the body and claims a university confirmed it was an unidentified creature. And then Rick takes the body on tour and he charges people to come see Bigfoot. So I normally would never mutilate a dead body, but I think I would pay money to see this creature and then take a slice out of it, run like hell out of that museum and get it tested myself. Well, he calls this creature Hank. He he names his kill and he starts to tour it and it's 800 pounds, by the way. He's charging people to view this 800-pound, now taxidermied Bigfoot corpse. How convenient that it's taxidermied. Where's all the entrails? Hmm. I mean, you should still, with the hair, you should still be able to extract DNA from its hair and skin, even post-taxidermy, to get it tested. And if he cared that much about proving that it's real, he would send it off, privately pay to have it sent to different labs to get results. Especially if he's got this thing about the government stealing his Bigfoot. Like, and he says just, it again here. I'm sending oh you another picture of this one. So Rick has a history of lying. He apparently is making like half a million dollars off of this tour. And eventually, I don't even know what prompts him. I think everyone's like, Rick, we know you're lying. Like, this is BS. So he finally comes clean on Facebook. And these are quotes from him. Coming clean about everything is necessary for a new start. From this moment on, I will speak the truth. No more lies, tall tales, or wild goose chases to mess with the haters. Everyone that went on my tour had less than $100 in the bank with nothing going for them. Some didn't even own a car. I made their life better. I never treated anyone bad. I'm a joker. I play around. That's just me. I have made lots of people mad, but I've made a hundred thousand or I've made 1000 times more smile. So he is just egotistical. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. He's, you know, he was, he was fired from the police force and that was the other guy. Oh, that was the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm confusing. But still like working with this guy. And then again, when he he confesses that it was all fake and then later claims that he did actually shoot Bigfoot, but the government took its body and he wanted to like still make money oh off God. of his corpse. So he like he just it. sounds like he's he's just saying whatever he wants to get attention. And so he'll admit to something being fake and then for the attention of being 
I'm sure people getting like riled up and being upset with him. And then he realizes, oh shit, I said it was fake and now I can't use this lie anymore. And then tries to go back on the lie and say, oh, and it just like gets worse and worse and worse. It's so hypocritical. It's like no more lies. And then followed up by another lie. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So Rick Dyer is not the first, nor was he the last to attempt to prove the evidence of big through falsified evidence. Also, this photo of the frozen Bigfoot. Yeah, that's the taxidermied one. Yeah, the taxidermied one. This looks number one. It looks fake. Like, I mean, I guess taxidermy can make any living animal look really fake, but it kind of looks like it looks almost like a troll, doesn't it? It does have that. I mean, yeah, it very much looks like a movie prop. Yeah. So sadly, some people go to very extreme lengths to find Bigfoot. And when they can't or don't get the evidence they want, some of them seek even more extreme lengths to falsify that evidence. Uh, In 2012, Randy Lee Tenley, who was a Montana resident, died while wearing a ghillie suit in an attempt to induce a Sasquatch sighting. So basically, he was trying to trick people who were driving on the highway that there was Bigfoot on the side of the road. And unfortunately, as he was doing that, he wound up in the middle of the highway and died by getting hit by or struck by multiple vehicles. Oh, Oh, that's so horrible. Yes. And then I wrote something in my notes because I think when I was first starting this, I was listening to a couple podcasts as I was like doing other things. And then I would write down notes of like, oh, talk about this. And I wrote um, pasta or Bigfoot. And when I got to sitting down to write my research, I could not remember nor find what the hell I was talking about. (laughs) Pasta or Bigfoot? Wait, was there was there like a photo from a pasta shell that looked like the image of Bigfoot? Like how people see like Jesus on toast? I really, I really do think it was around the possum stuff Bigfoot. So it might have been like, was there pasta used to stuff the Bigfoot? I don't know. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But my biggest question throughout all of this about the existence of Bigfoot is if Bigfoot were real or if there was potential of it being real, why wouldn't the government be more involved? So I did find an article that the FBI has been involved So this article was written in June of 2019 and then was updated again this past June of 2023. It's an article called Bigfoot was investigated by the FBI. This is what they found. And it's on history.com. The FBI has a four decade long file on Bigfoot dating back to 1976, which is when the Roger Patterson and Robert Gimlin footage, which we had just talked about, the famous Bigfoot video was first presented to the world. It was around this time in 1976 when Peter Byrne, the director of the Bigfoot Information Center in Oregon, sent 15 hairs attached to a tiny piece of skin to the FBI and asked for help in identifying the creature. Basically, Byrne was like, I think this is Bigfoot. I haven't been able to identify this as anything else. Can the FBI help? Jay Cochran Jr., who was the assistant director of the FBI's scientific and technical services, wrote back to Byrne, which that in itself is like finding evidence of Bigfoot. The fact that the FBI responded to him. Yeah. Peter Byrne is the one that stole the hand from the monastery in Nepal. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good old Byrne. So he's always looking for evidence. Always looking for evidence. So anyway... Jay ends up saying that they don't actually, they don't usually do this. And he said that he looked into the FBI and didn't find any evidence of the FBI having 
looked into Bigfoot prior to this, meaning that like the government's not interested in Bigfoot or like concerned about it. But he does say, hey, I'm going to make an exception for you. And I'm going to run the hairs in the interest of research and scientific discovery. If you're saying you can't discover what this is, I'll put it through our facility and perhaps we'll discover a new animal or creature, which I feel like is the lens that most people should take where it's like, okay, maybe someone will say this is Bigfoot, but shouldn't you at least try to test the hairs? Because what it it is some undiscovered creature, whether it be a, a new type of skunk or a released wild orangutan that somehow escaped from a zoo, like you'd solve some sort of mystery. Well, the results said that it did not belong to Bigfoot. And then this also brought up so many concern for me because like, yes, we, for the sake of science, want to understand this, but we have heard in the true crime world and just thinking about how much of a back catalog there is of untested kits in all types of crimes, it does make me question like, why are we spending our resources testing something that we are now finding it like, especially Bigfoot, like a lot of like all of the evidence we're talking about, there's never really been one that's 100%. This is not a creature of our earth that we know. And this one, again, it was a de- it was deer hair. Deer hair. Oh, which is frustrating because like you, you said, they're sending it to the FBI. So the FBI should be using their resources, you would think, for testing all of this other DNA that's out there to solve human crimes. I understand if you're sending it to some sort of university or... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Someone who studies... center has tech that does this. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But to use the resources that could be better used elsewhere, I understand that frustration. I feel like it should be not government funded. It should always be privately tested. So in early 1977, Jay Cochran Jr. sends the hair and the test results back to burn and the hairs were determined to be of the deer family. The FBI then declassified these findings 40 years later. Perhaps it was just deer hair. Or, 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 Corinne, I'm going to leave for you the space for conspiracy. Perhaps the FBI tested it and did confirm it was of a creature unknown to the human planet and, or to Earth, to the human race. And they wanted to cover it up. So they sent fake evidence, fake DNA testing back to burn and said it was a deer and it's actually a cover up. I'm so curious. Wait, do we know where burn got these hairs? I don't, but I think it was in Oregon. I think it was near where he is located. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe because I'm also wondering, like, do you think potentially that this Bigfoot creature, there was evidence of a Bigfoot that Peter Byrne saw and he saw some hairs in the same vicinity. And so he was like, this must be a Bigfoot creature. But what if the Bigfoot ate the deer? And so there's still Bigfoot evidence, but you're just getting crumbs of its meal. Of its dinner. Yes. Yeah. I mean, here, I'm going to end on a positive note because yes. There are a lot of hoaxes and there are a lot of people who fake Bigfoot sightings. But according to a New York Times article, so New York Times, you know, fancy, got some uh, reputation, good reputation. There are, and this was like back, this article that I saw specifically was like early, it was like in the 1990s. At that point, there were at least 94 credible Bigfoot sightings dating all the way back to 1840. But... The existence of Bigfoot dates even further back to native tribes and native peoples like you shared with us in part one. Exactly. Oh my gosh. 
And in part three, we'll get into it even more. Yes. I do believe that a lot of the evidence that we have that is, I guess, submitted could easily be a hoax or be just not Bigfoot. Because I also think, especially from some of the listener stories that we've received, like there was that one person on Campfire Stories who her dad has a ton of, like constantly encounters in his hikes through the woods, Bigfoot footprints, and she's seen it too. And so I'm just, it's just like, that's another example of someone who probably just like, it's one of those things like the indigenous people of these certain regions that are like, let's just kind of ignore it, live in harmony and continue on, especially because there is a fear of what other people will say. And so I do unfortunately feel like sometimes the people who come forward are a little bit more likely to not actually have real substantial evidence. And the people that do have evidence are sitting on their hands because they're afraid or just not motivated to they have no, they don't care if Bigfoot's proved is real or not. They know they have a cool story for themselves and their friends when they have dinner parties and that's all that matters. It's almost like me with aliens. Like I want it so bad. I almost want it too bad that they know. And they're like, girl, you're too thirsty. So they show themselves to people who are, who are unsuspecting. Have aren't... less thirst. Yeah, exactly. Already quenched. Right. Or didn't even know they needed to be quenched. Like... <laughs> They, they, they're like, you, you want it too bad. Like, stop. Stop. Oh my stop God. Sabrina still has a crush me. on me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm still, I'm super open to doing a CE5 event with you. Same. Because I feel like they will, like the whole time, the point of it is meditating and, and having the aliens come to you or open up this sort of channel and I feel like I'd be really great at meditating but setting a boundary at the same time where it's like if you're gonna do something do it to that girl across the circle from me Sabrina and I'll just be witness beam her up give her all the messages beam me up but let me just like see they're gonna for sure take you instead (sighs) they'd be be like like, well this girl doesn't even want to go she's perfect yeah all right I'm gonna start changing my narrative I don't want to see aliens I like, don't even care. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Whatever. I'm like too cool. Who for even aliens. are you? What's your name again? <laughs> alien who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even think about you, alien. Are you thinking about new, me? God. New phone. Who dis? <laughs> aliens are like, <laughs> you up at like 3 a.m.? Not me with like an alien on all of my, <laughs> all of my items. All your Apple products. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> you're wearing green. Oh, man. Okay. I have a story. Please. This is called I Saw Bigfoot on Cursed Native American Land. Hello, ghostesses. My name is Kinsey, and I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning. It kept me entertained to my long car rides over the years. I especially love hearing about all of the listener stories, and I always wanted to send one in, and now I finally can, because this is the story of the time I saw Bigfoot or a skinwalker? Question mark. This story took place almost a year ago in August, but for context, we're going to have to go back a little bit further than that. Sika Hollow is located in the Lake Traverse Reservation by Sisseton, South Dakota. This is where the Sisseton, Wapiton, Oyate Native Americans are from. I am so sorry. I probably butchered the crap out of that. Long before the settlers came, when the first Native Americans set 
foot on the land, they named it Sikahala, which translates to evil or bad. This is largely attributed to the fact that the water in the rivers are red tinted like blood due to the minerals in the water. Sikahala is also the location of a creation and vengeance story in Native American culture, and many supernatural occurrences are reported in the past and also in modern day. Some of the more frequent stories from the area are people hearing war drums, chants, and voices, and people have also reported seeing a Bigfoot-like creature. This is where my story comes into play. My friends and I grew up in a small town about an hour away from Sikahalo, and we would hear the legends for years. Call us crazy, but we decided we wanted to go see if they were true. Crazy! I'm going to call you crazy. (laughs) There were going to be about five of us, Cora, Seth, Luna, Sarah, and I, and we took a few precautions leading up to the trip. We had all heard the stories about Sikahalo, and we were going there for the express purpose of ghost hunting. Camping was just a happy side effect, lol. A few days before Cora, the friend that did most of the planning, and I made protection spell jars for everyone to carry with them when we were in Sikahalo, but especially when we were camping. We also had incense that we brought to cleanse and protect us from negative energy that might be in the campground. We felt decently prepared, and honestly, I didn't think anything was going to happen anyway. Not that I'm a skeptic, but just because nothing really has before. So the way that Sikahalo is set up is that you can drive through it and pull off to go hiking on normal trails or on horse trails. And then there's also a campground. I had been to Sikahalo many times throughout my life with my family and different friends, so I was feeling pretty comfortable with the whole idea of staying there. What we didn't know was the campground we booked at, the only one in the park, was just for horses. So with the way it was set up, the configuration was basically a giant U-shape and we were at the point in the very back. There was a large field for us to set up our tents and then on one side there was a horse stall and a tree and a picnic table. There was a fire pit in the front towards the middle and then there was another side that was bare, which is where we parked our cars. The side closest to our cars was tall grass for 50 feet or so and then It just sloped down a little bit and then the tree line started. We decided to put our tent on the side with the tall grass and we also decided to put the opening to our tent facing the woods and not the rest of the campground. Maybe for privacy, but also because we just didn't really think about it. I came later, so Cora, Luna, and Sarah already had everything set up by the time I got there. There were people pulling in with their horses and their trailers and the campground was full. We talked to our neighbors for a little bit until they kept asking if we had any pineapple, which is like... I think it's a swinger thing. Is it? Okay, it was... Okay. I think. You said it in such a sexy way. That because I, like, I... What? I, th- I think that's like code for like, are you guys swingers? Oh. I might okay. be wrong. Maybe it means I something else. I remember the upside down pineapple thing on doorways being that, but... Yeah, and then loofahs. I actually have a loofah. Well, I can't reach it. Loofahs on your like side mirrors, I guess, in Florida are kind of like a swinger thing. Interesting. And then we just ate and we hung out until our friend Seth got there. Seth lives like eight hours away from where we were camping, so he arrived pretty late into the night at probably about 11 p.m. It's important to note that we haven't looked at any of the trails in person, just through the map that we got so that we wouldn't be completely lost. As soon as Seth got there, we cleansed ourselves, we made sure we had our protection jars, and we headed out to the horse trail, which we also didn't know about. I do appreciate that they took all these precautions. Yeah, they're like, ooh, we really want to see something, but also not so much that we're going to scare ourselves or be potentially harmed. Right. The trail itself was fine, at least at first. 
It was mostly grass on each side and the trees dotted along the way. There were a few hills and at first the only thing that worried me was the giant crevice in the ground where the horses walked that we had to step on either side of so that we didn't hurt ourselves. Eventually we walked down into a little gap between two larger hills and everything went silent. It was loud before. I mean, we didn't hear any animals or anything, but the trees were rustling from the birds and you could hear the buzzing of the insects. But when we got to the bottom of the dip, it was like nothing else was alive. It was the freakiest thing I've ever experienced. The way that we were walking was single file and I was in the front because I had the brightest flashlight. Cora was behind me and behind her was Sarah and then Luna and Seth brought up the end. Seth was cracking jokes and I don't think he noticed the silence right away and it was like we all started walking quicker out of instinct. We eventually got to the other side of the dip and the sounds gradually started to come back and we were a little bit more at ease. I was still in the front and Cora was still behind me and the rest of the group had kind of fallen behind when life returned to the area. So we made it to the top of the hill before they did and we walked a little bit further to this large lone tree by the side of the trail. On either side of the trail was just tall grass and then this one tree. We knew that the trail looped around so we were trying to decide if we wanted to test our luck and keep going or if we wanted to turn around and go back to the campground. It was while we were debating this that I saw it. I was a little spooked still so I was just swinging my flashlight back and forth to look at the surroundings and I caught a pair of eyes reflecting in the beam up the side of the hill a ways away. I kind of immediately got cold and freaked out so I told Cora. When I swung the flashlight again it caught the reflection of the eyes but they were closer. Still pretty far away but they looked taller than they did before. This is when the rest of the group caught up to us and they were just chatting away and trying to figure out what they wanted to do about the trail as well. Cora and I are quiet and we're telling them to shut up and then we show them the eyes, which have gotten even closer this time. We obviously are all freaked out and decided that maybe this isn't the best idea anymore and that we should leave. This is what you asked for. I know. Cora, it's always a good idea until you actually experience something and then you're scared shitless. Cora's trying to hold us all together and she just keeps repeating, guys, it's just a cow. Like, it's fine. It's a cow. And no one believes her. Seth is also cracking jokes and he didn't see the eyes at all. We turned around and head back the same way that we came when we get to the dip and it's super quiet again. And then towards the other side, by the beginning of the trail, we start hearing coyotes howling around us. I know that coyotes don't eat anything bigger than like rabbits, but the sound kept getting closer and we'd just seen this demon or Bigfoot or something. So I'm too freaked out to care. Sarah and I start booking it back to the camp and made it back probably three minutes before everybody else does. Luna fell and twisted her ankle, which is what took them so long. So I felt kind of bad for leaving my friends to die. We go back out to the campsite and are just hanging out around the fire that Seth started and all the campers have gone back into their trailers to sleep or swing, or whatever they were going to do. Okay, pineapples are the swingers. So it was just us outside with the horses. Everything was chill for a while, and then Cora, who is sensitive to the paranormal and has seen shadow people her whole life, looks at a tree every few seconds and then tells us there's a man hanging out there watching us, but that he doesn't seem mean or more like he's protecting us. So she starts to ask questions to the spirit of to the spirits of Sika Hollow. Like, if you're with us, can you wake up the horse? The horse, which was silent and asleep for the whole 25 minutes we were talking, immediately neighed. Then she asked, if you want to hang out with us for a little bit, could you make the leaves rattle? And a giant breeze picked up and the tree practically shook. She asked a few more questions, but I can't remember what they were. And then we said goodnight and we went into the tent. Luna had brought her tarot cards with her and wanted to give Seth a tarot card reading since we all had gotten one before he got there. 
So when we got into the tent, she ties her protection charm at the top of the tent, and then she gets her tarot cards out. She gives him a reading, all goes to plan, and then he tries to leave the tent at 3 a.m. Obviously, this is the witching hour, and he's stuck in our tent now until at least 4 a.m. because we're all superstitious, and we just saw a demon, and he would have to fight us to leave the tent at this point. It's about this time that the protection charm starts to swing violently back and forth, and then the scratches on the side of our tent happen. This continues to happen with more intensity and frequency throughout the rest of the night. We try to convince ourselves it's an animal or the wind, but there was a distinct handprint on the side of the tent at one point. We thought it could be maybe one of the other campers messing with us, but they had been drinking and they would not have been that quiet sneaking up on us. And the horses also would have been awake if they tried. At one point, Luna heard a man's voice in the direction of the field and heard a woman's voice right by the side of our tent. Safe to say we didn't get too much sleep that night. And the next morning we got everything packed up and then we talked about what the eyes could have been last night. And we even looked up pictures of cow eyes and then mountain lion eyes and they were never the same. The eyes that we saw were too far apart. They were too tall, even with being up on a hill. So we were convinced that we ran into Bigfoot at Sika Hollow. Bad luck also followed us for the rest of the week. I got locked out of my car when we got gas and someone had to help us break in. One of the girls got drugged at the bars in my college town. Overall, it just was not great after that. Everything died down by the following Monday and nothing else really happened. And I don't think that I will be going back to Sika Hollow in the dark anytime soon though. Also, I forgot to mention that before I got there, the sheriff's department stopped Cora, Luna, and Sarah and asked if they'd seen anyone suspicious because there was a car abandoned on the side of the road a few miles up and they were looking for the owner. Sika Hollow has had many people disappear, especially during the 1970s when reports of Bigfoot-like creatures were common here. That really should have been our first sign to find something else to do with our weekend. Thanks for reading and keep up the good work, Kinsey. Well, Kinsey, you got what you went for. So in that <laughs> regard, congratulations. You I know. accomplished. We were just having a conversation about how people who want to see Bigfoot too badly and or aliens like me, like don't get it. Whereas Kinsey and all of their friends was they were like, we want something to happen to us and something happened to them. Yeah, it was almost like a it was like a wishy washy wish, though. You know, they're like, we do, but we don't. It's like we do, but we're also going to do everything we can to protect ourselves. We'll walk to the the end of the trail. But when given the opportunity to go further, we're going to turn back. Like it was kind of a well, we'll see. But the fact that after all of that stuff, they stayed like they continued to camp. I mean, I get like once like all the stuff outside of your tent starts to happen, I would not move. Like I would stay in that tent until the sun rose and I would oh not my sleep. Gosh. But um, I know. Well, it's also I understand the beginning staying in the tent because Cora had that encounter with some sort of spirit that seemed to be a little bit more protective. Yeah. So maybe they felt like they were safe in the campground area from whatever yeah, was true. stalking them on the trail and then it just kind of turned but then it was like nails on the hand and like weird voices who all i will say is i am glad you are all okay mm-hmm. and i strangely i don't want to camp there but i do strangely want to visit the area during the daytime yeah just to just to peek around and honestly like there's so many hay. bigfoot sightings during the day so we might still mm-hmm. see something oh it is so freaky too just it makes me wonder 
if there's just kind of like a mod podge of paranormal activity right here, if they saw Bigfoot, but Bigfoot didn't come torment them in the circle, and they they did encounter like a kind of decent spirit on the perimeter of the tree line and campground, but then there was something else entirely that was sort of tormenting them in the middle of the night. Or if this is some sort of shape-shifting creature, like they were saying, like a flesh pedestrian or a Bigfoot. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't think we ever can know for certain, but I believe in it. I believe this encounter. Oh, the pe- the the protection charm just going back and forth. Swinging? No. No. No, no, no. no. Everyone pee in a water bottle. No one's leaving the tent. But if you witness Bigfoot, please email us your encounter because we definitely want to hear it. Email us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com and let us know. Do you believe in Bigfoot or not? The answer better be yes. <laughs> but if it's no, that's okay. And if it's maybe, <laughs> let us know why. And if it's yes and you have Yay. evidence or yeah, or an encounter, let us know. And if you have a footprint casting of Bigfoot, please, for the love of God, send it to me. For the love of God. And come join us on tour. We're going to 32 cities through, from September through November. We would love to see you and get spooky with you. Send us all your recommendations. Um, join us on Patreon. We have campfire stories. We're going to start vlogging. Um, we have bonus episodes. We have ad-free. If anyone does any cool FX makeup or cool spooky yeah, Halloween makeup... Let us know because, you know, we'd love to do that a few times while we're on tour. We have a we have a Halloween run. We've got a Friday the 13th oh, show. Yeah. You know, we've got we're things that we're... Spooky. We'd love some help. Yes. <laughs> and watch us on YouTube, rate and view us on iTunes, all of those things. Thank you so much to our editor, Christina, and our team for all of your help on our show and, put, and helping us be us. Thank you. Thank you. We will... See you on, on the, the other, other side. side.